This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. And welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is your 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. And today we are going to take it to the Wolf of Wall Street level. That is, of course, we're going to be talking about tournament finance, as you probably already saw in the title. Uh, basically, what this means is we're going to talk about misconceptions that players have about people who host tournaments. We're going to get into the business side of competitive 40k. We're going to talk about rules and techniques that we personally use at Frontline Gaming at Delvio to maximize the attendee experience and, of course, maximize revenue. It's a topic I've always personally wanted to talk about, uh, and I, I'm coming off of uh, a, a cathartic kind of experience um, for this weekend, which I'll explain a little later afterwards. So it's a topic I've always wanted to talk about, and I think it's cool to talk about all the aspects of competitive 40k play not just the tactics and the nitty-gritty in the playing, but also the financial side. So it should be very interesting. With me, I brought two successful TOs. Uh, first off, I have Mr. Jason Horn from the Flying Monkey Podcast and from the Iron Halo. Howdy, y'all. And then, for the first time, I would like to introduce Ridvan Martinez as an official new co-host of the Chapter Tactics Podcast. Hello. All denizens of real space. So I don't yeah, know these if are the this denizens is really of real appropriate, space. Pablo, to to have an Eldar on your, you know, Papa Smurf podcast. To be honest, silence, Monkai. <laughs> so, I mean, so, you you at least need another Space Marine guy, we'll, or, a, or or like even you know, uh, we'll work something out. I do um, play Black Templars. Just saying. <laughs> uh, Scary, Scary graciously accepted to be a co-host on the podcast. Uh, and though he is amazing, um, I am going to be looking for one more co-host. I've already got a few people in mind in the works. Uh, and, you know, it's it's going up. Basically, I need need some help. Peter and Val are working, doing an awesome job at 40K Stat Center. They are still co-hosts for the podcast. Um, so this isn't necessarily a change. Um, I just, you know, need a little bit more help with some more co-hosts. So we'll probably introduce one more co-host um, hopefully soon. Uh, we'll see. I've already got some people in mind. I'm already talking to some people. But... For now, Skari is going to do an admiral job. I know it. we've had him on the podcast multiple, multiple times, and I think this was a matter of when, and not uh, you know if he was going to be a co-host. Lies. <laughs> uh, and of course, this episode was brought to you by the brand new Frontline Gaming Network, Frontline Gaming, and of course the amazing patrons over at our Patreon. Uh, patrons get access to Facebook the Facebook group and discord. They get to ask us questions that we answer at the end of every episode and they're eligible to win a special prize every month. This month, I want to give away something special. We're going to be giving away one 
space marine character painted, or if you're not a space marine, maybe you're in the denizen of the deep on Scarry's patron Patreon Scarcast, then maybe a Dark Elder character go away. Be warned, it might be painted by yours truly, so it might look horrible, but I'm sure it's at least worth a laugh. I would love something painted by you, Pablo. I think so. I think maybe maybe my daughter and I can take turns on it. You know, really give that model some character. You know, you know, honestly, I was actually looking forward to your daughter painting the model that I would I would win because I've been a <laughs> Patreon since the very beginning. And you have I been a Patreon. Jack Squat. I'm so sorry. Yeah, uh, we'll definitely <laughs> definitely have <laughs> not to, calling um, you out there, Pablo. Dealers, just saying, dealer's Jason. Choice. That is the nature of a random draw. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, random to the people this. you like. Come on, geez, you guys run tournaments. <laughs> I know how this is. I, I just, I just know it. You're gonna, I'm just gonna roll it, and you're gonna come up, and I'm gonna be like, oh my gosh, it's gonna look. I might have to re-roll your name. <laughs> you're gonna re-roll my name. <laughs> what you're gonna do is send me a screenshot of like, hey, you actually won, but <laughs> since you talked about it, I'm gonna have to re-roll it. <laughs> I pro, I promise you, I will take a screenshot if I legitimately roll your name. <laughs> Moving on, uh, this is the last chance to sign up this month to win that model. So if that's something you're interested in, you want a character model, uh, it's not going to be super converted. It's just going to be basic, out of the box. Um, if it's a spaceman character, I might give it a special weapon or something. So if you want a Smash Captain, but uh, keep in mind, I will be purchasing it and assembling it myself. So um, try not to make it too crazy. Uh, oh, prepare for mold lines. Oh, I'll do my best. I'm not bad. Anyways. Wow, shots fired. <laughs> and then, of course, check out 40, all the new podcasts over at Friendly Gaming Network, including The Art of War, Nick Nadavati's brand new podcast, and so much more. All right. Before we begin the quick topic, I want to talk about Magic the Gathering tournaments. Now, I know well, I'm, I'm going to alienate some listeners here, but bear with me. This weekend, I attended... Uh, the largest Magic the Gathering event that happens every year. So it's not the most prestigious, but as number Roz-wise is the largest event period. It's in Vegas. It's called uh, Magic Fest Las Vegas. And I just want to say, attending it, I, I intended this with the sole purpose of not winning and doing well, but to learn as much information as I could, not only for this episode, but for our own personal growth as a company, uh, because we do obviously run the Las Vegas Open. So I learned a lot of financial stuff and a lot more of the business side of that of those tournaments and let me just say magic the gathering tournaments are on an entirely new level it is absurd uh their judge staff they have 200 judges on staff all paid and uh contracted through five days which is already that's nuts, nuts. Wait, so at, their at event is five days so, so the, the judges were contracted through five days their event was four days but the judges were working on wednesday as well that's crazy. Now, i don't know if all the judges were working wednesday but it, that that is that is insane. And on top of that, they had their normal staff that helped run the event. I don't know if these guys are paid. Uh, some of them are Channel Fireball employees because that's the company that runs the event there. Channel Fireball is a pretty large company, um, so they definitely had some of their own employees there running things. But how many were volunteers and how many weren't? I don't know the exact numbers there. Um, but I did get from one of the judges at the event that there were two hundred registered judges there. That is that is nuts. Right? That's crazy. And, at least you guys have one thing, right? Hold it in Vegas. Yeah. It, uh, tournaments in Vegas um, are by far the best place to hold events. Um, I know we, we've already got, uh, other than the Las Vegas Open, we've already got a couple events near or in Las Vegas that are already succeeding doing really well. Um, so, like the Gentleman's GT, for example, uh, that happened earlier this year, 
so it, it's just it's awesome um it was a really really great event uh and it really showed me the potential that 40k can hit is if we get some sort of judge program or judge thing like what magic has uh and we give tos a number that they have to hit we might start to see a little bit more expensive fees coming in because 40k tournaments are more expensive to run which we'll talk about later in the podcast um so, but, so what do you think makes vegas so accessible and so popular for uh well for people well first off it's vegas so it, it already draws people there just for everything like if you do your research on vegas you'll find usually something that that you will enjoy whether it's in the form of a restaurant a pleasurable experience you would find maybe in camera uh scary knows a little bit more about that so you can <laughs> scary knows a little bit more about that you, you can email him privately about that uh or um, cost you extra gambling it's free for a certain patreon tier um he's jukari i mean that just makes a lot of sense and then the most important, the biggest reason is Vegas makes it so easy to travel there. Vegas is a city designed to get you there and and to take your money. They make it as easy as possible. To, you know, so I feel like it also sort of opens it up to people who might not be like in the running to say win the event, but they know they'll go, they'll have a chance. And even if they lose the event, there's still tons of stuff to do. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. you know even if you get knocked out quickly or whatever like you're not just sitting there sort of like waiting for your friends that like came with you to like be able to pack up and go home you know you can go out and you know hit the town or go to a restaurant or watch a show or you know gamble or whatever it is that you like to do yeah yeah absolutely um so it's uh you know it's awesome uh i I had a great time at the magic fest it was a really good well-run professional event um, and, then, you know, going there, the only thing I could think of was hopefully this is where 40K co- goes in, in um, you know, five, ten years maybe. Um, and uh, I think we'll talk a little bit about how we can get there as well as some misconceptions. So, Pablo, so, uh, before you leave ahead, this tangent real quick with Magic Fest, we want to hear one because I'm pretty sure you competed, right? Yes. Okay. So I would like to hear personally one of your oh, no. funny – competing moments in magic because we all know that you always you always pull a good one at competitive events whether it be uh losing three shield captains in one turn oh no um i two-way exocrine okay that wasn't just uh like anything that was to an exocrine that was a malice scepter oh that thing sorry not exocrine i'll eat my words just a little Maui worse. the Malicepta. Maui the Malicepta. Oh, man. So uh, just just imagine you're talking to me over, like, you know, a beer. You know, you just – that that thing that just happened, you know, you're at the bar. You're sulking your tears. And I go, hey, Pablo, <laughs> tell me what happened. And secretly I'm recording this for everybody listening. But uh, – Well, I'll try to keep it a little more professional. Um, <laughs> so the, the first term I did poorly and so there were two, the other cool thing about the magic fest is normally those kind of events have one main event. So like one 40 K championships. So there were two this time, two main events. The first one was almost 3000 players big. Wow. That's the main event, not the side events, main event. And this is a modern tournament. Um, I think it ended up being like 27, 2800. I, I pl- ended up playing on table 14, like 20. So, you know, fourteen twenty times two, cause the tables are numbered. It's like, yeah, it was nuts. Um, but yeah, I didn't do well in that event at all. Uh, it, yeah, it happens. But in the second event, uh, which was Modern Horizon Sealed, for those of you who actually understand Magic Talk, um, I went seven and zero. 
Uh, and the way these events work is if you go six and two or better day one, so it's a nine round event, um, six and two, you play your ninth round for day two on day one. So you play nine rounds day one. Uh, and then if you make the cut, you go to day two and then you basically do it all over again. Um, but instead the stakes are higher and it's considered a professional level event at that point. So, um, like, like people can't bother you. It's really, really, really strict. And so if you make day two, you, you're basically stuck there till you drop. Um, and so that's where the other six rounds happen. So it's a 15 round event and then it cuts to a top eight. So if you somehow manage to go 13 and two or, or some, maybe 14 and one after 15 rounds, you play in a top eight and then you decide, or then you get paid out and stuff. So it's, it's huge. It's like, it, it's nuts. Um, 40 K 40 K players. There are a lot of them complain about five rounds, <laughs> you know, like try 15 <laughs> rounds, right? Like 15 rounds is the equivalent of, of like a plus the top eight is like the equivalent of like a three, easily the equivalent of a three day, right? Cause every round is about an hour and then you have to factor in the time it takes to, to, um, to shuffle around, pair everyone, right. shuffle around. So it's about That's an scary. hour and a half per round and there's no lunch breaks either. So, so you have an out. So oh yeah. Straight through. Hour and a half, boom. Oof. Hour and a half, boom. So if you're playing a control deck, or if you're playing a deck that goes to time consistently, you're not getting a lunch, you know, because there's like ten minutes between rounds. So you got to run somewhere real quick and get a snack. So you got to really prepare for it. It's it's a lot more hardcore uh, than what we're used to in 40k, even at the highest level. I feel like most 40k players would be like, "What? No lunch?" And then they'd all like pass out. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? I I, I feel like yeah, you are correct. However, uh, there is a mentality that. Even the highest professional level forty, the highest level forty k players, not professional because we don't really quite have professional players yet. Uh, but the highest level forty k players ha- don't have that you need to attend these kind of events. It's it's a mentality where y- you know you really have to prepare. Like I I created a survival survival bag with water bottles, everything I needed, extra sleeves, pens, paper uh, for writing down um, snacks. You know, just kind of like your base deodorant, your basic kind of survival guide because I knew that I would be stuck. I could potentially be stuck in that hall for for a long time, and I, I did on on uh, the second event. So it's just, are you uh, not let out of the hole if you're still competing, or what? You you can, but if you're winning, you don't want to. You obviously don't want to leave. So if you keep winning, the intent is to to never leave the hall because you're winning all the time, right? So right. It, and if you if you win fifteen games or fourteen games in a row, you you're not leaving that hall both days. You're getting in at nine a.m getting paired up and you're not leaving until like eight o'clock. Dang. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh yeah. So, um, but you know, it's, that's, that's an extreme. I get that, but that's also an event that pays out $200 minimum to the 256th player. So if you placed in 256th place, which is still really, really good. Um, you get paid $200 cash. You got some like spending money for Vegas essentially. Yeah, and then the the winners obviously get paid tens of thousands of dollars, right? So they have a huge prize pool. Um, and I want to talk about that right now while we're on that subject. Uh, 40K, it's really hard to get a good prize pool for 40K, right? So for, for Magic, it's easy. For the modern event, for example, um, just hypothetically, say you have 3,000 players. It's $75 to enter the event, right? So uh, automatically you enter the event, you pay $75. Uh, all they give you up front in terms of costs that Channel Fireball has to give you is they give you a cheapo Channel Fireball deck box that's like nothing, a foil promotional card that Wizards of the Coast probably provides for them for free, uh, and then a little notepad and a little basic 
kit stuff that probably wouldn't cost them more than five dollars to put together and that's it that's all they give you they don't give you anything else they don't uh they don't even provide a lunch they just give you chairs and tables obviously the space gets very expensive expensive the venue we've looked into it uh personally and that the convention center venue can cost seven figures easy right so that that event that they put together probably cost them a total of like like a little about a million dollars easily I'm not exaggerating. Like it's it's ridiculous how expensive it gets for those many days. Well, not only that, but there's also like I know at LVO you guys provide the water for for the players and stuff right. like you that. Right. You have to yeah, you, and then there's all sorts of packages that Vegas, you know, there's like a whole complicated process. Like Vegas is the big leagues and started running an event. And um, we're not going I don't want to get too much into that uh because it really is it could be like a whole another episode. Um but just to give you an idea when when uh TOs run events there's different fees that they have to pay on top of just paying for the venue, right? Some events will be like, well, you have to buy food if you want lunch. Well, we're going to cater food, but we don't want to sell you food and then have your guys all go out to the Starbucks and in and out next door. Um, then we'll make all this food for nothing. So you have to buy the food up front, right? And so now you're buying like a thousand hot dogs or something. Now you have to sell those hot dogs uh, as the TO, right? So it's like little thing, little examples like that, for example. So it's two hundred and ten thousand dollars uh, for three thousand players for seventy bucks a player. So you get two hundred and ten thousand dollars if you cut. Uh, we we did the math on the judges roughly. It's like sixty grand to pay that many judges uh, ten ninety nine on uh, contractors at minimum wage in Vegas, uh, and then another like well you know well, I don't well know and if you're that's paying accurate. them for the weekend and I don't think and that's not and that's a rough. That's a rough guess because not ju- no judges created equal. Sure. Right. Yeah. And some judges, like honestly, you know, some judges may just be paid, you know, hotel room, and we'll give you three hundred dollars. And so, right. I mean, that's a contract, right? It's still a contract, right? Right. And so, yep. so it might even the cost might even be more, right? The, more or less, depending on on the on the judge, like you said. Yeah, yeah, and so it's it's like. You know, you get two hundred and ten thousand dollars to work with as a pie just for that one main event, which is still a really big pie. Um, but you still have to pay for everything. But if you were, if you didn't have to pay for any of that stuff, right? Any of the judges, um, you know, it, you would make a lot of money off this one main event. But in forty k, you have to pay for the terrain, which is where things start to get really dicey, mm-hmm. right? Because terrain can cost upwards of two hundred dollars a table, right? And so you need this terrain for every two players. So even if you're spending a hundred bucks. For terrain and a mat, which is a smoking deal per table, oh, yeah. and then you charge each of your players seventy five dollars. You're only getting fifty bucks every two players, or <clears throat> and then if you have a you know five hundred person event times fifty bucks, you know that's not nearly as much money. You still have to pay for the hall, you have to pay for the labor, you have to pay for anything else. So there's a lot less money involved in forty k just by the nature of of running a forty k event. That, that's really accurate, and in fact, I think. If we look at Magic compared to 40K, I think 40K is more of the, uh, you plant your seeds early on, like years one and two when you're running your event. You're probably not going to make money, uh, you're probably going to lose money in those couple years. And then, you know, years three, four, and five, you're going to get that return on investment because number one, you're not buying terrain, or as much terrain Mm -hmm. as you were in the past. Number two, you've established that that reputation of running a good event. So people want to go. Yeah, and it also helps, you know, with like, you know, the standards being set by other events in the area or like supply and demand, you know, if you're like the only big 
like major or GT in the region, you're more likely to be able to grow faster. You know, now that you know you're getting like the ranking system and people want to participate more and you know we've seen an explosion of events right now that has been like unprecedented in mm -hmm. in like competitive 40k yeah and and so i think that's a great segue to talk into talk about 40k tournaments and some common misconceptions that we have uh as players and as tos to a little bit to an extent about 40k tournaments um and Pablo, so i can't first... believe you think there are common misconceptions about 40k tournaments what i mean that's such, you know... like really <laughs> why why do people think this way you know i browse on the the uh competitive 40k thread or even shit talk and tactics and i'm like there are no misconceptions at all none no, whatsoever none. no it's all above board exactly yeah, 100%. no one everybody has the same opinion and it's all that everyone loves everyone <laughs> and no one's out to get anyone is that is that well, fair <laughs> i mean i live in oklahoma and we're just you know good old boys with our horses we take to work and you know we just we're just down to earth good old boys and that's all i gotta say it's the same with every event you know every event has the proper amount of terrain yeah you know there's never any judge issues at all um you know there's the food is good the venues are good you know i don't know why people complain so much I mean, it, <laughs> well even in canada scar I, I feel like that you guys are the nicest people in the world is that that is is that not accurate? Uh, that's a misconception. Oh, <laughs> broke my heart. Well, all right. Well, let's let's get back to reality here. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so, um, it, one one of the most common things I, I complaints I see or, or misconceptions I see is about uh, the idea of prize support, right? So, like, if a tournament is offering a really big prize support, and and this is, goes with the misconception of. Uh, what players want right and a lot of tos think that they've cracked it even recent frank recent from like gaming we think that we've cracked it and i don't even think we've cracked it just yet um and that's what players want right why do players go to events um the one common theme that i think uh larger events can agree on is that players don't necessarily go for the biggest for like the big prizes um because in general uh 40k isn't because there's that small pie the 200th player, 200th place player, the 50th place player isn't going to get $200 cash. That's just financially, that's just not going to happen. Even at the highest level and the, the tournaments with the largest amount of people. That's just, this is not going to happen. So uh, right away, 48 players know they're going to these tournaments and they're not going to expect to win. They're not going to expect to win something or win some sort of prizes. So it's not prizes. Um, it could be raffle prizes or at the door prizes that those are more appealing to the general players because then they feel like they can go and still have a chance at getting something. <clears throat> but if your event doesn't have that, that's probably not that big of a deal. I think, I think for the, something that's important to note is the size of the event will normally sort of dictate the price support as well. Yes. Right. So, you know, and the amount of sponsors and stuff that maybe a TO can get that can really help the event. So, and like an event at a at a local RTT that goes into like your local game store or whatever, uh, is going to run differently and with different sort of like financial parameters than than a GT. You know, personally, I run, I've run small RTT events or help run them at local stores uh, locally, and then I run you know the Barry Bash, which is a larger event at a golf course, and both of them are, are very different in terms of logistics and like um and uh you know cost and things like that as well and therefore the price support 
does vary based on a how thrifty I am throughout the whole process, and b you know sort of like companies or stuff that might want to throw stuff in or swag bags or not or if I'm getting trophies or if it's certificates or whatever it is that that you kind of like aim for as a TL. So so what do you aim for like uh at, at your bigger events, Scary? What is, what is your goal as a TO 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 bring to the table for your players? So the reason I started running events at, at, as a whole was just a way to just offer people an opportunity to go and compete and have like a lot of people running and like the the Barry Bash started as a like a 16 person RTT and I believe it's going to be going into its, I think, eighth year or seventh Yikes. year or something next year. Um, and now we're a 64-person major or more, depending on the venue size. Um, that's, you know, six rounds over two days, and we hold it at a golf course. So since then, you know, it's been more about, like, still that community feeling, which is kind of what I wanted to achieve from the very beginning. However, it's become more... It's become like a social gathering with like trophies at the end. And yes, there's prizes and yes, there's, you know, but it's not like Pete and they, you have draw prizes and things like that. But people don't go to like take a bunch of swag there. They take they go to spend a weekend with friends, catered food, you know, and and just compete with at, the, at, a, at a high level with the ability to get like best in faction awards and, you know, things that not aren't just I'm going to go to win the whole thing. Yeah, <clears throat> Jason, what, what was your so you've you've developed the Iron Halo, um, and and I do know that you you definitely bring the heat with prize support. However, what was kind of your philosophy building the Iron Halo up um, in terms of that? Maybe maybe did you maybe change your philosophy in terms of prize support or or not? Yeah, so kind of the quick history of the Iron Halo. In the first year, we offered a five hundred dollar cash prize to first place. So, so this was back in 2014. So $500 in 2014 was a, a buttload of money. And uh, slowly through the years, I've kind of changed my idea of how I wanted to offer prize support from a, you know, the, the top player is going to get the majority of the, of, the, of the piece of the pie to, to, hey, let's distribute out to everyone else. Because like Scarry said, and I 100% agree, that tournaments are becoming more of a social gathering. You know, I go to events personally because I want to see my friends from the from you know, Minnesota or from St. Louis, because you know what? I like those people and it's awesome when I can play 40 K with them. And so I went from a, you know, let's give the top player a big piece of the pie to let's focus on the people that may actually make up the tournament, which is not the top 20%, but the other 80, uh, 80%. And so I came up with like uh, random drawings. And so we get uh, price support from, Lots of different sponsors from people that I uh, companies that I talk to about giving us a discount if we buy certain products from them, and we give those away at the Iron Halo. And so, hope our goal is to have everyone walk away with at least something. And I think it's worked out really good well. Uh, and I think that uh, that's why we have repeat uh, folks coming back. Like uh, we have people from uh, San Antonio, Texas, and people from minnesota that are coming out to the iron halo for numerous years because uh number one they well i guess they want to see me kinda but that's not me <laughs> i think they really like the event and what it stands for 
And so I think the second the second piece of why I think the Iron Halo has been so successful is we've really grappled onto oh, our J- cause. Jason? Yes? The wolf has eaten him. Um, Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Hello? Well, there he is. He's back. Hooray! Oh. Hello. I, th- I think I was buffering. Oh, no. Okay. Um, where did I leave off? So everybody gets a piece of the pie. 80% of people are super excited about coming, and people come back to the event because... Okay, yeah, I left it up there. I teed it up really well, right? Uh, they, they come back to the event because they obviously want to see their friends, and they know that they're going to have some awesome prize support and some amazing plaques. And number one, they can be recognized. So I think I've really kind of gotten on to the fact that you know, every yeah, prices are really good, but you know what's really cool is to get that uh, best uh, chaos faction award, or get that best custodes faction award, or even get the the best ultra smurfs. I mean, excuse me, ultramarines award. <laughs> so, uh, and so we make plaques for those folks so they can take home and display on the wall, and I think that's really important so that uh, those folks get the recognition as well as. Uh, mm-hmm. everyone else that wins the tournament or, you know, uh, gets best painted, things like that. Oh, we, we even make a big deal of uh, running, uh, like having a giant prize for the wooden spoon, uh, which is, of course, the traditional last place. Yes. And, uh, you know, this year, you know, one of the local stores, they they provided a giant, or, like, oar, like, a, like, a, wow. like an actual canoe oar that was basically... Uh, a, a, a fully built and painted knight glued to the, to the panel. <laughs> oh, man. So wow. not only did the yeah last person get a giant trophy, they could literally just take the knight off that and play with a brand new knight, which was actually really fun. So it, really you know, cool. it's it doesn't have to be something like a, you know something crazy. It can just it's like people are sometimes just really happy about getting something that kind of shows that they went and enjoyed a good weekend with friends, right? So, Scarry, let me ask you this. Have you ever had someone complain to you about uh, if you were the ringer and you got to play them, obviously the ringer is supposed to lose the game. And then uh, after you after the tournament's over, the person that you played against as the ringer complains to you that they played the ringer and, wasn't able, and won a game and so they weren't eligible for uh, the wooden spoon. Oh, um, they. I let them choose if they want to win or lose. Oh, if okay. they really want the wooden spoon, like if that was the case. But normally, normally as a ringer, like I rarely have to be a ringer because I have people like other players who volunteer to kind of jump in as a ringer. Because if I'm running an event, I don't really want to like play in the sure. event or interfere with the event in any way. In that sense, you know, I like to stay at arm's length, you know, just to keep it kosher. Mm-hmm. And um. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's never been something that I've had an issue with. Well, let me tell you, that was one of the most interesting conversations I had with someone <laughs> at one point. But sounds very interesting. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but I mean, I just think like uh, your wooden spoon is a great idea. We actually give out a big like spoon we get from Hobby Lobby, and we have nice. uh, my wife write some really nice writing on the wall. And in fact. Uh, it's tradition now that the person who earned the spoon the last year knights the other one with their spoon. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, you know, you, you come up with these little things that are unique to your tournament that people want to come back for. 
Yeah, and, and <clears throat> I think diversifying uh, prizes, not just with wooden spoons necessarily, but um, just in general, uh, I think that's probably the best way to go um, for 40k tournaments, at least until we get a, a massive tournament that also manages to put out a, a large prize pool. I mean, like, I'm talking about like something like that's sustainable, like what Magic has, right? It's massive on that scale. And even then, Magic pays out to the top 250, or the top 10%, right, ish, of players still. Um, so, you know. Well, it is a matter of time for yeah. for the growth of the hobby to really sort of start becoming that sort of, you know, tabletop, tabletop sport, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, you start having recognizable names and players and, and teams start developing and then sponsorships start happening. And, you know, it becomes a lot more professional at that point. You know, I know, uh, you know, I've been chatting with Neil, who's like the head TO of uh, of the ETC, and he's looking at starting a sort of like funded TO program for like a, at a global scale that could professionally provide trained and paid um, TOs and judges for major events across the world. So there's there's stuff there's movement in the right direction. I find. You know, and 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 regardless of the the price support of your of what you're doing, there's always some cool tips and tricks. So for an RTT, I think one of the easiest tricks to do is if you're running, you are a TO that wants to run a small event in terms of price support. Um, the easiest place to run an event is at your local game store if they have game space. Now it is important to build a, a positive relationship with the store owner or the people who run the store in order for them to sort of, you know, give you the space and know that you're going to respect the table and the terrain and the other customers or whatever fits in the store. However, you know, if you run a tournament during their open hours, so from open to close, whether it's three rounds or four rounds or whatever you can squeeze into there, and then you do a, the simplest way to do it is money in, money out. You know, all the money that goes into the event, whether it's 20 bucks or 15 bucks or 10 bucks, goes to the store and comes out as um, uh, store credit. So you can give away, you know, as many different uh, little store credit things as you'd like, but some, you know, 50 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever, depending on how big the tournament is. And therefore, the tournament itself becomes self-sustaining mm -hmm. while at the same time helping support the local store that is has been nice enough to open their doors and give you the game space for the day. Yeah, and that, that's another great way to, to definitely break it down. <clears throat> um. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to some other misconceptions. Uh, before I go on to mine, are there any misconceptions you two have as TOs that you think players have about uh, tournaments? Maybe logistically think, thinking, um, you know, that it's that that from a TO, maybe, you know, just misconceptions you have as a TO that you think players have that you see as a TO. I think uh, maybe one of the biggest things is is um you know t sometimes players feeling when you know if you know a player or sometimes you have to make a a, a tough judge call or something against somebody who you know you know, there's a misconception that sometimes there might be some bias or the favoritism or whatever and and a lot of the times that's not the case it's just we try our best while we're toing to you know be as fair as possible regardless of who's playing on the table and uh and you know and sometimes you can agree with a judge ruling or not but at the end of the day they are judge rulings and we're doing our best when there's you know 
you know, a hundred people at our event and the, the other judges might be busy or whatever, uh, to make sure that the games go smoothly and fairly. Okay. And I think, uh, one of the things that I've experienced is, uh, is like, I actually had a, had a, someone email me to the other day about our painting rubric. So we're requiring, uh, battle ready models which includes uh basing and uh three colors like at least 25 percent is two other colors other than the base and so i had a guy that emailed me that said um he had has a beautifully painted tau army and he was using some quick shade and he chose the wrong quick shade and he chose dark instead of light and so basically his whole army is super dark and he said, hey, uh, he emailed me like really frustrated. He said, hey, dude, I need a refund from the Iron Halo because uh, my army is is uh, was quick was quick shaded with the wrong quick shade. I needed the, the lighter instead of the darker. And I won't be able to paint. I won't, I'm going to strip it and I'm going to repaint it, but it won't be ready for the Iron Halo. So I won't be able to make it. So I was like, whoa, 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 hold the phone. And I asked him, I emailed him back. I said, hey, are you... Uh, are you interested in just going to the Iron Halo, you know, uh, even if you haven't stripped this army? And he said, uh, yes. I, he said he would love to go um, if he didn't have to have the painting requirement. So I, sh I asked him to show me a picture of his army, of what he had done so far. And legitimately, like, his his Tau army was super dark uh, because of the quickshade. And I said, you know what, you know, we're, we're all players here uh, first and – before TOs and I told him hey it's okay if you want to rebuild your army just make sure it's like at least one color so it looks nice on the table but uh, because of this particular circumstance you are definitely allowed to come to Iron Halo if you want to and he was like yes man I actually want to go this is like my first tournament and I'm super excited to go so I, I was really happy to, nice. to help accommodate that because um, you know <clears throat> we're humans too and we love this game of 40K so much that we are spending our, our blood, sweat, and tears into making this game accessible for everyone. So uh, I just want to say if you if there's a situation that arises, feel free to contact the TO. Nine times out of ten, they are going to be more than lenient to work with you to make sure the resolution is beneficial for you uh, than anybody else. Oh, I 100% agree with that statement. Like, you know, people sometimes are afraid to reach out to your TO. Reach out to the TO, ask a question, send an email. You know, we're not out there to get you. Right. <laughs> I, I think my favorite emails are the ones I get from new folks. And, and they tell us, oh, yeah, it's my first tournament. And I was like, man, uh, hopefully when you, when you come here, be sure to introduce yourself to me so I can say hi to you. I think that that is like like a hidden gem right there because, you know, in this day of – online um, uh, Facebook and Instagram and all the other stuff, you know, we lose that personal connection with folks. And I think uh, meeting people one-on-one -on -one, uh, and that's why I think tournaments are so popular and they're only going to get more popular as, as this game progresses. And I think even as technology progresses as well. 100%. Yep. <clears throat> um, so I, I want to move on to uh, something that I think people, maybe could learn a little bit more about and that's um how hard it is to run a tournament right so we talked a little bit about you know the basics um <clears throat> but uh there there's a labor cost involved that players i think definitely see on the surface um but if they truly understood it i think more players would probably 
take the opportunity to uh, help out at the end, or you know maybe people are busy. I I don't know. I, I just when I found out how hard it was to run a tournament, I try my best every time I go to a tournament now to help out the TOs because I know how difficult it is, and I don't I don't go out of my way. Definitely when I'm vacationing. Um, or when I'm going to a nice place, I won't do everything. I won't, I won't uh, sacrifice my time there. But I definitely do do my best to uh, respect the TO and what they do. Um, what are what are some some of the hardest things you've had to deal with as a TO um, for the both of you? Do you want to start there? Yeah, Jason? yeah, I'll go. I think this was uh, my breakdown year. The year I wanted to quit was at the end of my second year, and that's literally because I did everything myself. Ever, like I did all the trophies. Um, I spent so much time. I blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, I probably spent um, maybe two or three hours a night, three months in or three months before the tournament, to make sure everything was ready. Um, I brought all the terrain to the venue, and this was for eighty players. So I brought four, like you know thirty tables of terrain. I had had other people, other clubs help out too. But the thing is, is that. What I learned that year that if you do it yourself, uh, you're going to break down because this is at 80 players. I think even at 60 players, it's still too big for one person to to manage. And uh, the next year I got more help. And so I got people that I could count on and rely on, which I think is a a big thing as well. uh, That will help. That will, number one, follow follow directions. I think that's a big component if you're going to work with someone but number two that they could be responsible for uh setting up all the tables and the terrain and i think having someone do that for me put a big piece of the of the tournament off my shoulders and and onto them on someone i could trust and rely on and the third year worked a lot better the fourth year was good too and this year i don't think i'm gonna do anything i'm just kidding guys 100 (laughs) percent so this year, I'm just going to sit down and drink the coffee and watch people do all the work that, for That's what Reese does, right, at LVO? Oh, he wishes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's actually getting like a box uh, with a whiskey in it that said this is like a magic box, right? That's what he's doing. He calls on his uh, stunt double, Reesio. <laughs> <laughs> From Hook. While that he's... was so good. <laughs> so good. While he, uh, while he you know... Twizzles his long mustache and says, "Death to all tau." Hey, you should you should not really say that too loud because that's actually exactly what happens in the LVO chat group. That's another thing. Talking about misconceptions. Before I go on to my best thing, is tos do not have vendettas against armies. At least, at least from my personal experience, we don't like build the mission formats to screw with specific armies. Well, g- good tos don't do that. Okay, yeah, good tos. Good, most so most tos, but. Um, but yeah, that's also a funny little misconception that I think a lot of people have, is, um, that they think the TOs designed their terrain or missions to get their army, so or get them specifically even worse. Well, well or yeah, um, to the the one the one player that goes there and goes, this terrain was specifically designed to stop me from winning, and I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> all the power to you. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, no. Jason. 
No, you're you're exactly right. Actually, I I plan on uh, uh nerfing all Eldar and Yanari models this year personally. Ooh, I want to go to the Iron because yeah. it is uh <laughs> I have a vendetta against that. Actually, in all in all fair, not Tal, excuse me, Eldar. In all fairness, I actually made a a ruling for our tournament where I said because a wobbly model, right? Yeah, I'm gonna put my Kaladi's tank on the edge of this this ruin and say it's up there, and I'm like. On the corner, on the corner yeah. of the L shape that's like uh, yeah. half an inch wide. So I'm like, mm. so what I did is I looked at the LVO terrain guidelines. And I just added one sentence, and it said, uh, if a model is placed in a ruin, it must be placed on a floor, a bottom floor, a middle floor, or top floor. Uh, and then I said, uh, if this model is has the battlefield uh, flyer roll, then it has to be placed on the top floor of a ruin. So that what that'll do is help uh, eliminate um, uh, kind of confusion and wobbly model syndrome for 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 our tournament. And I tell you what, I will let you know in about uh, a month if it is successful or not. <laughs> That's good to know. So going on to the like worst stories or like horror stories, um, not horror stories, but it was definitely tough to deal with um, was this year's Barry Bash. Uh, I expanded from 64 players to 110 or 120 players or so. And I had in order to do so, you know, relied on a lot of the community members to bring tables of terrain to help out. And we did do a three and three event. Normally I run a four and two, which meant that we were going a little bit later in on the Sunday. Now the bash runs at a golf course that's just a little bit out of town in Barrie, Ontario. Very nice location. However, that night it decided to be one of the worst storms Ontario, like snowstorms that Ontario had seen in quite some time. Wow. Which meant that people had to sort of start leaving earlier. So we did have a lot of drops. Um, which meant that throughout the course of like the, the second and third round or between the second and third round of the day, I had consolidated the second room that we had sort of gotten into the first room, moving all the tables and terrain that I had. But at the same time, I had people that had to leave that had to take their tables and terrain, which provided a bit of a you know logistical issue of me either keeping the table and then having to give it to them later um, or you know, basically changing a table pairing or something on the fly based on people having to leave so that they wouldn't get stuck in the snow. Mm. So that was an interesting logistical issue. That's, yeah. That's, Wait, are you telling <laughs> me Canadians aren't used to snow? We're used to snow. We just don't <clears throat> like dying in snow. Ooh. Wow. Aren't you born out of snow? I guess, I guess if you're born from snow, you wouldn't want to. This is when I pull snow. out my Mexican passport and I go, <laughs> I'm born and raised in Mexico. <laughs> oh, so the first time you saw it's like was... it's like you and Pablo are cousins. <laughs> we both have Martinez as a last name. That's true. We, we might we might as well. Be whoa, whoa, whoa! There is a lot of collusion on why you picked him as a host. I'm just gonna call it out right now. I think I think this is a shady deal. We're gonna have to call call John uh... Salty John to to investigate this, and he is gonna solve this problem right Great. now. I great, cannot believe great abuelito, uh, great abuelito Jose Martinez is, uh, <laughs> is uh, our, our great great grandfather was here, and he told uh, me that that uh, mijo, 
Miho, the next time you start a podcast, you must pick. Okay, folks, you ready for this? Writing's not that no, easy. No, not that one. But Grammarly on. can help. Uh-oh, what's going on? I think, I think he, is he is trying to I'm, do something I'm cool. Here. I'm I here. think he died. I'm here. I'm here. He's here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. And that is <laughs> All right. To, to that's. <laughs> the, you know what? This isn't Forty K Stat Center, Scary. <laughs> we, we don't have music playing over audio and and all that awesome fancy stuff. I'm just saying, you know, we might as well commit. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, just real quick. Um. So, just I just want to talk about. Uh, in LVO time, uh, and then uh, we can jump on to the next subject, and that's uh, the amount of of uh, labor put into an event, a tournament, is massive, right? And it also affects your job, like your day job. So every year at the LVO, we essentially have to shut down Frontline Gaming to run the convention. It takes the full staff. Uh, luckily, we've expanded to the point now where this coming year and future years will have people who stay in staff to ship items out and get everything going. So we probably won't have a full shutdown or something similar. Um, but my first year starting with Frontline Gaming was the worst because they signed me on at the beginning of the calendar year. And I was like, woo, happy I'm an employee. And they gave me a bunch of stuff I had to do. And then the Death Watch Overkill box came out. And there were a ton of orders for it. And then they were like, oh, by the way, you have to come to the Las Vegas Open and help us run everything. And I was just like, oh, great. <laughs> and so I had to learn how to basically do a job, which, I, which to be fair, I'd already been practicing a lot of. I had to learn how to do more of the job. And then I had to, you know, figure out how to. It was, it was just it was a lot of work. And there was a lot of uh, things that I had to do even before Frontline Gaming when I was helping them with other events before I worked for them, right? So I had to take time off work. Uh, and you, Scar, you know, and Jason, you both know that um, it's more than just showing up for a weekend and running the event. You have to, on Friday, you have to wake up yeah. early in the morning. You have to pick up the chairs, the tables, make sure all the terrain is set up. You might even have to do it Thursday, uh, right? So that's two days off of work. That's, you know, if you work 40 days a week, that's 16 hours of Wow, pay, 40 days a week? I'm only 40 half hours Asian, a week. Pablo. I can only work <laughs> 20 days a week. So, just, Asians just time travel to go back and work more days. That's how. That's how they work. Yeah, that, shh, don't tell them my secret, Pablo. Come on. <laughs> um. Uh. But but uh. You, you know that can definitely take a toll on a to uh, as well. So you know there's there's a lot of things that um, as a player that you might not see on the surface. Uh. But tos you know they work really hard and there's a reason why I take you know, careful steps to give TOs their due on this podcast and why I, I, I have a lot of respect for TOs in the community. Um, and I try my absolute best not to uh, disrespect them, you know, so as opposed to players where I talk shit about everyone. I mean, it's easy to be um, a player. Apparently. It's hard to be a I mean, if you think about it, <laughs> if you think about it, how many, how many players, I mean, we see it now more and more, but of all the players in North America and the surrounding world, who wants to really be a TO? I mean, you don't see Nick Navadi being a TO. You don't see. No, he's not lining up nope. to run. You know, which is you know, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it is a fact you're, that you're absolutely right about. Well, as a TO, you sort of have to sacrifice that going to play, right, to kind of watch mm -hmm. people play, and 
a lot of the times people might not have enough time to play at home or whatever where they're like if i have the opportunity between playing or watching people play i'd much prefer to play because i don't really get to play as often as i'd like that that's exactly right and i think there's also some added benefits in being a to than than actually playing an event uh, when you're a to i think you get to interact with um, the the higher quality players or the higher end players uh, because you're you're all maybe going there to make a ruling or you're asking them questions because they're at the top table and you're there and so i think you get you get to interact with them a little bit more and uh, they, they get to know your name which is really really kind of a cool experience if you think about it yeah mm-hmm. <clears throat> all right so um let, let's talk about uh, how to run a profitable tournament so one thing that uh I know Reese gets bombarded with uh, questions that I myself get bombarded with, and I'm sure you two have, have been consulted with at the very least. And that's how how do you start a TO as a uh, an event as a TO, and how do you how do you make it profitable? How do you make it something so that maybe you're not making a living off of it? Because that's pretty much impossible for 99% of the people who want to start 40k tournaments. But um, <clears throat> but enough to make it so that the event is sustainable uh, and reaches uh growth so i want to talk a little bit about that how to run a profitable tournament so that you know it can grow with time and maybe add you know some money into your pocket at the end of the day um so uh so i i'd I'd like to start with saying that it sort of really depends as well on the to's goals right so if you're a to that wants to make a profit off of the events you're gonna probably run uh, an event or look for strategies that kind of help you turn a profit whether it's finding sponsors whether it's getting a vendor area whether it's you know finding the cheapest location for what you want or maximizing the amount of people you can squeeze into an event or whatever it is you're trying to do at that point um personally you know, with any event that I've run, there's we I aim to break even. I don't aim to sort of like make a profit or like profit from the event. If there's any money left over, it tends to go into like next year's event to make sure that, you know, I have a good leg up on, you know, getting an extra trophy or more objective markers or more stuff in the swag bag or things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Events are expensive, you know, it depends a on location B, are you providing food or not? How much are you charging for the ticket? How many people are going to be showing up? Are you putting money down for a room block on a hotel? Um, you know, are you letting that up to the players? And that's where, since there's no standardized format, it's really up to a the location that you're in or the area where you want to run an event based on, you know, if people are willing to travel to your event and then correlate that to sort of like your own um, reputation as a tournament organizer, which I think has a big fact is a big factor in whether or not people will a come to your event or b continue to come to your event, because you could aim to make a profitable event, maybe go into, you know, spend money running an event for the first couple of years. But if you run a good event, people will come back, but it takes time to do it that way. Um, Or run an event and then bite off too much than what you can chew and then sort of like alienate people that came to your event and then sort of like self-sabotage your own event in the pursuit of trying to make money yeah yeah there's definitely so many things to consider um in the very especially in the very beginning when you're trying to run a profitable event um one other thing that i've seen that a lot of uh, events have been moving to and they're, they're kind of copying the nova foundation approach which uh, nova if you don't know nova is a non-profit uh, mike brandt uh 
runs uh, an amazing event. Um, he doesn't keep a penny of it for himself, uh, mostly because he's already a very rich and successful man, but uh, also because, uh, you know, he, he is a very important cause, right? It, it's for breast cancer awareness, it's for breast cancer research, um, and it's very personal to him. So Mike Brandt has Nova set up so that it, it it is profitable, but because it's nonprofit, he puts money into breast cancer research and he puts money back into the event, which in turn helps it grow and grow and grow. Um, and that's that's not this isn't like insider knowledge like this is just I, I'm assuming my guess I, this is just me assuming that that he you know does this because this is how nonprofits work that's just just how nonprofits work that's right? true you still get to pay <clears> and I, I'm assuming that he's successful right yeah you still have to pay so I, I'm sure I'm sure Mike obviously Mike hasn't opened his books up to me but I'm sure Mike is making enough money to pay everyone run the event make sure all the vendors you know everything's taken care of. Um, I'm sure he's doing all of that stuff. And then on top of that, he's making enough money to expand Nova, which is crazy, right? And so Nova's because Nova's growing every year and it's been growing ever since it first started. Um, so, you know, he's definitely doing it the right way. But that's another thing you can do. That's another angle that you can take is um, you can make money for a nonprofit. And then you have something, you know, uh, that you can work towards uh, that kind of helps your tournament grow, right? So, um that's a good selling point. And then in the future, you might be able to turn that into um, some sort of business. Maybe you can own your own business and then you're a vendor at your nonprofit event that you run or whatever. That's, that's just another avenue. Right. And there, there's a lots of different ways to be profitable. Number one, I feel like the, the best piece of advice is uh, talk to maybe uh, someone with a financial background about some ideas on <laughs> how to, how to start your, start your own nonprofit or how to start your own company. For example, uh, I use an accountant. And they told me that uh, if you're under a certain dollar value, I think it's like maybe $20,000 a year, you can actually just attach your, all your finances to a Schedule C here in Oklahoma. And so that means you can write off uh, price support, you know, your judges, you can write off everything. And so um, uh, what that does is it, you, it'll help you keep track of all your expenses. And then uh, when it comes tax time, it's really important because all the income that you've earned from your ticket sales here in the U.S., you have to pay taxes on that uh, because it's over $600. And so uh, – and the government knows who you are because you got that Social Security number. But the thing is is that uh, – uh, with that Schedule C, you'll be able to write everything off and document it, and it actually is, is better for you tax-wise uh, to uh, to claim it as an itemized deduction. So that's just something in the accounting end that I've kind of played with mm. a little bit. Uh, but that is very important. And I think uh, for me personally, I like as well as uh, – I like running my tournaments uh, as co break-even as well and then maybe um, – uh, and plan for the future, uh, kind of similar what uh, what Scari does. Um, you know, my goal is to maybe make you know a couple hundred bucks, you know, in th this year, and see if that goes. Maybe invest back into the hobby or invest into trophies. But you know, I really run this because I'm excited to see my friends from across the country, and I want to put on a really good event because I just I just miss them a lot. And I think these, mm -hmm. if you think about like NBA games, you know, football games, you know, yeah, they're playing to win, but at the end of the game, what are they doing? They're seeing, they're seeing their buddies on the other, other opposite team, giving them hugs, high fives, you know, chit chatting about their family, because that's all, that's what we are. We're just a big, you know, 40 K family. And, uh, mm -hmm. some people don't like each other, but you know, you always have that, 
that Aunt Irma on the other side that's really weird that you just don't want to talk to anyway. Yeah, my my primo Scari on my side of my family is not. That's <laughs> someone I like. Hey, <laughs> hey, we thought we were going to leave that out of the podcast, man. You're right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, for the non-Spanish speakers, primo is cousin. Oh, thank you. Thank Spanish. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> The more um, you know. Uh, moving on. Really? I thought it was like Abuela or something. I don't know. Uh, uh, um, so uh, when you when when um, another thing that I think really helps uh, when you're trying to build a, a TO that I've seen a lot of the more successful how you build a TO as they treat like you build them one piece I'm at sorry, a time. How, to, how do how you build a tournament? <laughs> There's a TO that we're building that we're we have the technology. This is a prototype. <laughs> Um, uh, when you're building a tournament is uh, to treat it like a business um, to develop business plans um, and all that stuff and one of the ways we do that uh, that I've seen the good way to start off doing that is to develop a floor plan so when you develop a floor plan you find out uh, how much the venue is how much you know per square foot how much square foot are you getting how much square foot each player needs table wise and you know tournament wise chairs and stuff and then you have to find out a dollar amount that you need to make per square foot um in order to be profitable and you need to hit that amount so if you you know if you're operating in the thirty thousand square feet of a hall and you need each person to make a hundred you need each person to give you a hundred per person to meet like the thirty dollars per square foot or whatever the numbers are i'm just throwing random numbers out there just to kind of give you a little bit of an example um, and you need to charge everyone a hundred bucks a ticket to hit that number, then that's what you got to do. Right. And vendors can help out with that. Um, a lot of, uh, when we're going back to the magic event, the, a lot of the vendors at the magic event, um, were spending a little significantly more per dollar than what a player would spend for the same, uh, for the same space. Right. Because the, they, they charge the vendors so much more money. Now for the vendors, it's profitable still, right? Because the vendors are there to make money. So the vendors want to be there. And they'll be utilizing that space, and they'll be bringing other players to that space and keeping keeping them there in the con, so that they're buying food or doing side events, and so they're spending more money, right? So that's kind of their business models <clears throat> on top of running the events. But vendors can definitely help you out, uh, you know, for um, a certain amount of space, right? So just uh, get a floor plan, figure out how much money you need to be making per square inch to pay off everything. Uh, and then go from there and start charging from there. Uh, and then the second thing, and this is probably the bigger thing than that, is to invest in capital, which in this case is terrain. Mm. That's that's by far the most important investment decision you can make when you're start when you're especially when you're starting off at a new tournament, and even for older existing tournaments. Uh, you know, tournaments have to constantly be updating it. Um, you know, look at Adepticon. Adepticon updated their terrain this year, uh, and and it showed, and people loved it. And they're, they're probably going to have to update it in the future, you know, 20 years down the road or 10 years down the road. They're going to have to keep doing that. And then that old terrain that they have, they can use that. Um, they can sell it. They can turn around and use it for kill team events or, or recycle it or something. But that's capital that they'll have that they'll be able to use for the for their future. Right. So what we did at the LVO is we um, invested in ITC terrain, MDF terrain, which which we created into our own product line. So we're going to show it off. At the at the LVO Las Vegas Open at our events, but also on top of that, um, we didn't we sold a bunch of our old train that was useless, but we kept the the good amounts of it, so we kept enough capital to really run our narrative event and take off our narrative event. So now our narrative event and our friendly event has a lot of the old terrain that used to be at the old LVO, and now we don't have to worry about buying terrain for the the narrative event and the friendlies because we already have terrain for them. 
And so now if we ever choose to expand again, uh, maybe in like an invitational or, or, or RTTs or whatever, we can maybe start shifting some of the older terrain that we have now and pushing that towards, you know, another event. And then it also enables us to add more tournaments, right? Like the SoCal Open. The SoCal Open is hitting its third year this year. It's a newer uh, frontline gaming tournament, but we basically used terrain from the Las Vegas Open to run another tournament, right? And so the SoCal Open was was even more profitable than the Las Vegas Open because we didn't have to buy a whole new set of terrain. SoCal Open bringing right. a magic box to a table near you. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, there's there's also that. There's no I actually don't mind that. magic boxes. I like them, but... <laughs> because <laughs> considering they are definitely funny meme thing considering Salty that nonsense. there was supposed to be a magic box on like every table at the lvo right yeah which was which was really funny because <laughs> we because we knew that and and we we planned accordingly but people still thought it and so people who brought magic box armies were um a little disappointed I mean, but, but they were all cordoned off to like certain areas so as long as you didn't play on that table you were okay yeah now i would like to say in yeah. terms of the terrain you know it yeah personally me as a one like as a person who likes to run events that gets community support um you don't need to have a huge terrain investment depending on the size of the event you want to run and the level of community involvement personally i only own about six tables worth of terrain that i can really say are like i can take them and run them but because of the local store you know we that's another I want to say 12 tables worth of terrain to 16 tables. And then people bring a table here or there. And I do things like give a prize out to the best donated table for the event and things like that. And most of the people who come bring their tournament terrain. That's usually like ITC terrain that they've, that they've bought from frontline gaming. And it's the, 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 the tournament like ruins and the L shapes and all the basic terrain that we started to come and know and love that blocks line aside and provides like a tactical gameplay experience. And another time when I've needed terrain, I've, there's, you know, uh, like the can hammer crew, they they rent the train out to events so it's it's sometimes if you can't afford the effort and time to sort of build paint and train there's lots of different ways that you can sort of fill that gap until you have that infrastructure built because it does take time it does take effort and it does take a lot of money to to get it to that size i can only imagine not only building it painting it but then storing it throughout the year and you know fixing it if it ever gets broken and all this stuff too uh, Scari is exactly correct. I mean, uh, for example, what what we do here at the Halo, I have an office that is able to store uh, extra boxes of terrain. But, however, it is like tw- literally 20 to 30 tubs of terrain because that's how much I have. And uh, I definitely rely on uh, other clubs to help support the Iron Halo because, you know, uh, the way again, like uh, my whole philosophy is that this is again the tournament is a big family reunion for all the people out uh, to come to the event and say hi to each other. So clubs are are willing to support you, and if you don't know, you don't know until you ask. And so that's the that's the coolest thing because I really appreciate all the local clubs helping us out. But uh, I do remember a time when I literally spent, you know, one hour a day for almost an entire year just working on terrain. In fact, right now, I'm actually uh, gluing some terrain for the Iron Halo before I paint it. So that's 
that's the thing that I think the TOs always need to be, uh, you always need to be working on something, whether it be like five minutes or, or an hour, or a couple hours, you know, every day, because uh, a little bit every day adds up to a lot. And I know that's super cliche, but that is my word for the day. Cause that rhymes a, <laughs> <laughs> and, <clears throat> and you guys, what you're both talking about is social cap, social capital, or uh, the ability to retain networks and um, these contacts of people to help you with your event. And that that's another another thing you can do as a TO. And it goes even beyond getting people to bring think, terrain. Pablo, I want to um, stop you right there because I wanted to pick your brain on that. Do you, what do you think is more important? I mean, financial capital or social capital when running an event? Probably social capital. Uh, financial capital is, is safer. Uh, because you don't have to rely on people. You don't have to rely on making people happy. You don't have to rely on, you know, social contortion, juggling, uh, figuring out, you know, trying to appease people's personalities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, financial capital is you, you have your tournament, you have your terrain, it's yours, and, and you don't have to rely on anyone. It's just like you have complete control over that, which I think there's a bit of a safety net, which is like, which is what Frontline Gaming does, right? Frontline Gaming... Um, we do have sponsors. We do have no, not maybe not sponsors necessarily, but we have a, a good social network of people that we work with. Especially when we're outsourcing tournaments, like uh, for example, our fantasy flight games this year is all being outsourced through people that we trust and respected members of their respective communities. Um, so that's something that that we're kind of uh, working on networking on that end. But that's more of a convention thing and not necessarily a tournament thing. But when it comes to the forty k tournaments. Um, in general, we have complete control over Age of Sigmar terrain, um, how the 40k tournaments run, and all of that capital, because we have all of that. And that's something that I know Reese and Frankie, it's important to them that they that they have control over this tournament because they put on such a good show, and they have such a high standard of quality. Yeah. So it, it just depends. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that the people, like, I'm not saying that the flying monkey tables at Iron Halo are bad or low quality. It's just when you have to rely on other people, there is risk. We saw it this earlier this summer uh, with that uh, tournament where the people didn't, the, the outsourced terrain didn't get built and the tournament was, the terrain was awful. And a lot of people felt that they were robbed. I, I won't name the event, um, but for those of you who were kind of trolling around Facebook groups and Reddit pages uh, around that time, you'll know exactly what, uh, what tournament I'm talking about. Right. So, um, it, it can be very risky relying on other people. Uh, and so be careful with social capital. Be careful, be careful with building it. Uh, however, it is definitely financially the better decision, right? Because instead of investing your own money or investing your own capital into capital, um, you're investing uh, yourself. So you're selling yourself. You're, you're investing in relationships, um, which might mean dinners or ec- extra phone calls. Or maybe you might have to like, Ha- invite one of them onto your podcast every now and then. If I'm selling term. myself, I do expect <laughs> dinners. Uh, you guys are both going to get dinners. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. I eat uh, a lot. The, if you haven't seen me in a while. The, I love eating. The, the point is, where are you is taking that, me out? Um, I think probably uh, uh, lips. There's a, a nice little drag queen bar. I have. Never Delicious seen food. that. I think my wife would not approve, or maybe she would approve and be like, "Look what you have, Jason. You have something really good." I think I think she would get a good laugh out of it. Uh, she is actually <laughs> nodding your her wife head is cool about approve taking me to the drag queen bar. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's pretty, <laughs> there you go. We got we got it. 
Scary's next. <laughs> um, uh, the so so I think definitely to answer your question, Jason, um, social capital I think is probably financially a little more intelligent, but is less secure, so it's riskier. So um, uh, take that both. But you do need social capital for the next thing, uh, which we're going to segue into, and that's getting people to come to your event. So let's say you've you've got you've got the outline down, you've got the business plan, the the floor plan the terrain like it's all subtly you have a tournament now you need to bring people in now you need to bring the cash flow in or the players in whatever you want to call them um you need to bring the people to your event uh there's a lot of different ways tournaments do this um it's a lot harder than it was before it's both easier and harder because before there were so few like in the i'm talking about the days if you listen to our history podcast um earlier in the summer i'm talking about the days when uh when there weren't a lot of 40k tournaments and GW actually ran tournaments um, that a lot of people knew about. There were only a few big ones, right? So Adepticon, um, <clears throat> although I don't think, I don't doubt that they wouldn't be successful if they were to start Adepticon today, it would definitely be harder for them because they would be competing with so many more 40k tournaments, so many more events, mm-hmm. right? And so if Adepticon were to start right now, as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago, or whenever Adepticon started, it would be harder for them because they have more competition. They have more people. Um, but at the same time, the community is also growing. So th- there's more sources. I, I, I think you were going to say something. The so only I- thing I wanted to say is, you know, one of the first things that I would recommend is don't look at your players as the cash flow. <laughs> what? I are you telling me I can't look at you like a piece of meat? <clears throat> I'm I'm a I'm in a business I'm in a business uh, mentality right which now, which is fine. Uh, like yes, you need. I, I was jo- no, I was kind of joking about right. that, but I should have I should have. Yeah, well, it's hundred percent. You know, if you want to, yes, okay. The only way a tournament continues to happen is if people show up and there's money flows that allows to pay for the venue, that allows to pay for everything. Right, because you know you pay everything you see at one of these events was paid for. You know the hall, the AC, and in, in the case of Vegas, for example, the water. You know all this stuff that that comes into play. Um, however, if a player leaves the event feeling like they were just a paycheck or they were just cash for the event to happen, they won't come back <laughs> next time. So it's very important as yeah. a TO, in my opinion, to just make sure that. You make it very clear that you actually care about them as players rather than just a ticket. Yeah, and, and what they really are, and what we're really talking about is they're they're customers. They're they're not only customers, but they're customers that are a part of your community. They're not just faceless, you know, eBay usernames. They are you know living, breathing customers that um, are supporting your event with their money, right? And so you should have some sort of you know customer service plan you should have some sort of plan to make sure uh that their investment in you is is worthy of their time right which which is uh something that i have seen to struggle with uh you know it's um i I won't necessarily say that to's um these to's think of their customers as cash flow um but there is uh a little bit of ego that can sometimes get in the way uh, with the way to's run their events right they might think that the way they run their event is is the right way or the way they make a particular decision is the right way uh and as a to i i found the best tos uh and the ones that are the the biggest risers um generally put ego off to the side and focus on providing a good customer experience and a good customer service uh which is important it's it's really really is important Uh, which is kind of why i said at the beginning to treat it a little bit like a business 
But anyways, go on. No, that was it. That's, uh, that was my comment. I yeah. said, hey, you can't... No. You, that Yes, they are cash cows, but you can't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, <laughs> so, so when you're building social like, capital... Oh, yeah. That's okay. I, I, um, to, so when you're building social capital and you're building these these networks and, and these relationships with, with other community leaders, um, that's I think that's the best way to advertise your event, right? It, it's it's one thing to, like, facelessly, you know, market on, on the spam, the competitive 40K group or the Reddit page, right? Like, oh, come to my event, you know. It's in July. It's awesome. Two thousand points. Oh, man, that's the best way to do it. It's one thing to do that, <laughs> and it's another thing to get actual sponsors to come to your event um, because now they're invested in people coming in your event. So if you get like Frontline Gaming to sponsor your event or Hammerhead Games or, or you know whatever, right? Whatever sponsor you can think of, <clears throat> um, you know, get them involved. Get them a booth. Now they now they have a an active you know uh, desire to grow your event as well. Right. And so you could do that. And then it's also important to tune into a really good social or really good community locally. Right. Um, The Las Vegas Open doesn't have it's well, it does have a local Las Vegas community, but it's a national event. It has a national community that it tunes into Uh, players from all around the world come to the LVO and talk about it. And that's kind of where the LVO markets itself. Uh, We get on all the different podcasts, uh, a lot of 40k personalities go to the las vegas open and so our our social capital is huge with the las vegas open in the sense that a lot of people know about it and reese and frankie and myself do our very best to be good ambassadors for the lbo um you know we, we, we're not jerks we try not to uh swindle people we try to be good people that you want to you know have drinks with um <clears throat> so when you're starting off uh, as a to uh the the places you want to focus on to market your event are your local communities, your local community leaders specifically, that could include your local game stores. Uh, sponsors are another big one. Um, and then, uh, importantly, uh, 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 a specific like like group. Like, for example, the ITC. It doesn't have to be the ITC, um, but the ITC, is that's part of the reason why it was created, was to give TOs a tool, a pool of players um, that they can reach out to to come to their event and get them to come to their event. Kind of like a a mini social capital or something, so to speak. Well said. Yeah. Ditto. I mean, how are you, how are you, did you read my, my diary, my dear tournament diary? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of creepy if you did, but you're, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's so much more than this. This, this is just kind of scratching the surface. Um, these are just some things that uh, people, you know, uh, constantly ask about running tournaments or so, getting ready. To so I, I want to, I wanted to, kind of uh, add on to exactly what you're talking about you know every year at the mm-hmm. iron hill we always try to do something unique and something different that that we didn't do in the past so um i guess i'll just uh, i'll just announce it now so like i told you guys we're doing a led or we'll do, we're doing plaques for for all our sponsors or not our excuse me all our players for the faction awards and things like that well this year we got um led plaques uh laser engraved plaques and so they're pretty dope uh, i'm pretty excited i haven't actually shared nice. this on the facebook page so uh you guys that are listening here on uh chapter tactics you guys are the first ones to know so we got that and then i've been um i've been making obviously lots of terrain but i'm also planning 
on giving away um, some unique custom uh, 3D printed miniatures to everyone at the tournament. So one of them is like the Emperor of uh, a 40k. It looks pretty dope. And then I got, I got a couple corn mm. uh, berserkers and some blood letters and stuff. It's just, it's just something to add so that your your cash. I mean, excuse me, your. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your player base, <clears throat> not your cash cow. Uh, do you guys <laughs> ever watch Master PC Master Race with like uh, the Flash Gets animation guys that did the oh, uh, yeah. you know the the PlayStation Two uh, fanboys and the, the oh man, yes. it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. No, that's okay. I need to watch that, so I'll, I'll take a look at that. It must be I'll pretty link good it up. Cause it's it has, hilarious because it has Flash Gets. I mean, Flash Gets are great. So. Only by name. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I just, I just, I point that out because I think you guys really need to to think about your tournament. Oh, what what advantages are you going to bring that will make your tournament stand out from everybody else in your region? So not not necessarily like mm-hmm. in the country or in the nation or in the world, but in your local area, like within five or six hours. And so. Um, if you can do that, I believe you have a marketable product that, that people are going to want to attend. And if you keep doing that more enough times, well I think uh, you're going to have repeat customers or repeat players come back to the event because, number one, they love it. And <clears throat> number two, they know that you're going to put on a great event. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, well, I think that's it. Uh, was there anything else that you two wanted to add on to this? Don't be afraid to run an event if there's nobody running events in your area you know reach out you can always uh reach out to uh, another to you know like for example me you can always reach out to me on facebook or twitter or instagram or youtube or patreon wait um but uh, you can always reach out and just ask if you have any questions um you know the you don't really you need a lot of help setting it up and taking it down but at the end of the day when it's actually the event happening all you need is your Best Coast Pairings TO app and a finger to push a button that says next round. Mm-hmm. It's super, super easy to run an event nowadays. And I highly recommend that if you want to do it, do it. Just just, just do it. That's it. That's all I want to say is just do it. Don't be afraid to start an event of your own. Yeah. And, and um, <clears throat> uh, there, beyond just asking Scar, there are multiple other resources there's the ITC TO yep. group. If you're starting a TO, um, I don't know if you can necessarily join it right away, um, but uh, you can reach to reach out to people on the group. You can reach out to Reese, myself. You can email me frontline gaming pdpob at gmail.com uh, or message me on Facebook or whatever have you. But there's there's lots of resources. Doesn't, doesn't the ITC um, Patreon have yep. like a sponsored you know mentorship program as well? Yes. yes, which is yes. amazing. You know, you, and not only do you help keep the ITC alive and you know lessen the burden for the frontline gaming crew, but as a community, as a global community, we have the opportunity to basically at the ground level help this become something that eventually could look like an esport. You know, tabletop, tabletop sports are going to be a thing within the next ten years. So, you know, this is this is where it all begins and and it's all thanks to, you know, someone like yourself. Yeah. Uh and finally, if you oh, are I got interested in marketing your event. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Jason. Uh so 
there, there's two things that I think are really important for uh, an upcoming TO is uh, number one, uh, don't be afraid uh, to fail. Uh, because everyone, I think it's important to, to realize that everyone is going to make a mistake. It's not necessarily, you know, how bad your mistake was, but you're willing to, to pick yourself up. I mean, take a look at uh, a tournament overseas in London that didn't have enough terrain. And uh, year two, I think they've done a, a much better job in, in letting them know what happened and how, how they're fixing it. So I think that's a, that's a really great uh, thing a lo really great life trait to actually know as well is that you know even though you even though um, uh, actually I want to sing the a Chumbawamba song that says I get knocked down but I get up again you're never gonna take me down I get knocked down but I get up again so I think that's that's a really great trait for a TO is that you can't you can't fail unless you just quit and so uh <laughs> that yeah we're gonna end on that i was, that was I good i was gonna was good. say something else but you know we're good all right so at the end of every episode we do like to open it up to the patrons uh for questions um where the patrons get to ask myself and our guests any questions about the topic or just anything in general if that's something that interests you and you want to ask us some questions you can always head over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics uh where you can sign up help us out support the podcast and also get to ask or ask some awesome questions <clears throat> uh the first question is from uh senor caleb uh uh i agree this topic is awesome i've been wanting to see about organizing a charity tournament in my area but really just don't know the best way to begin putting a serious event together it's not actually a question just a comment well, good for you go do it yeah absolutely and <laughs> and all you need to do is have you know even if it's you as a ringer and one other guy playing three games during a day, you know, that's how an event starts is set a date, tell people about it and just do it consistently. Mm -hmm. And start small. Uh, Kelsey wants, yeah. <laughs> Kelsey wants to know how much of a cut do you think is right for the host uh, local gaming store to take? I've been in tournaments where the local gaming store took over 50% of the tournament entry. That didn't seem right. So I want to know where you guys fall on this. Um, and then he mentioned something about magic-related stuff. Uh, so I, I actually have some personal uh, things going on right now in San Diego that um, makes this a little bit more of a sensitive topic that I shouldn't talk about. Uh, so you two can take it away. So I'll start with this one. Um, I feel like if you've built a good relationship with the store and you're running an event during a day where and hours that they're already open... Um, I do the money in, money out. So I tell the I tell the game store, hey, game store, I'm gonna get to I'm gonna charge twenty bucks for a person, and for every twenty bucks that goes in, I'd like to have twenty bucks in gift certificates, which means all the money is going to store anyway, but all the money goes into price support. And people who get a twenty dollar gift certificate are gonna be spending forty dollars in the store. So it's it's a you know chat with the chat with the the the, the store in order to um, kind of get an idea and sometimes the store doesn't open on that day or opens later or closes sooner and you want to stay open later and sooner so sometimes they have costs that they need to cover like you know having an additional um, staff member at the store for the time that you're running the event or you know or like lighting or whatever it is they need to do. So, so just just be reasonable with them as well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on Scary with that. Um, you know, we have to 
uh, as players, you know, we we want to say that we're the big dogs because we're coming and spending money and and you know taking up space. But in reality, uh, playing at a game store is a privilege and not a right. And so that's why when you go in, you, you treat the employees, you treat the game store like it's your own place. I mean, if your place is messy like my house, then you don't do that at all. But um, and if you're, <laughs> and also if the game store is treating you like a cash cow, you just don't do that at all. I'm just kidding. So in all reality, um, I really think that uh, whatever the rules that the game store has put in place for you to run events, I think that is uh, appropriate. Uh, if you have an issue with it, I definitely recommend that you talk to them beforehand. Like, for example, um, even though it's probably very uncomfortable, you should definitely have a conversation. It's like, hey, you know, do you want us to pay for the space? Do you do you want to take a cut of the the ticket price? Because uh, it's much easier to have that conversation beforehand than at the event when you're expecting to, to give out, you know, $300 in price support and you're only giving <clears> 150 I mean, that'll just bring mm-hmm. really harsh feelings between you and the store. And, um, you know, it, it just won't end very good in the end. So uh, when in doubt, ask. And the worst thing that they can tell you is no, just like my two other girlfriends. I'm just kidding. So <laughs> I don't have anything. I don't have any girlfriends on the side, <clears> Stephanie, I promise. The, the the joke is is that the two other girlfriends were both his wife and she had to reject him twice hey, before she hey. married him. <laughs> man, man, you know what, Pablo? You're not staying in my house anymore because whatever happens in the horn house oh, stays no. in the horn house. Hey, cousin, you can stay at my house. That's a snore. And I will say, I, I don't want to add too much to this, but um, I will say that as a local game store, if you if you've got any reservations about this, uh, do your best to convert it to store credit, um, because if your players give you five thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, whatever the amount of cash they give you, and you convert it to store credit, it's essentially like they're buying product, yeah. right? Because you because you have you have margins on your product, um, and so it would if if you like the idea of. 30 people coming into your store and spending $3,000 on stuff, uh, then maybe consider giving a hundred percent of the, of the prize or the, the pool in store credit out back. Um, just food for thought. I know it doesn't work for every store. Every store has different margins. And, and do stuff, it at retail. Not, just some food for not thought. Your discount. <laughs> oh yeah. Do it at retail. Don't, don't. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, uh, okay. Next question. Um, uh, how much do I need to put into Patreon to get Pablo to come play at my local tournaments? I must defeat him or lose gloriously in person. Um, uh, patron Tim, uh, I, I I would need at least enough money to uh, travel to your tournament. Uh, he also takes it in That's taquitos it. and uh, enchiladas. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. Uh, th- this is something I, um, I have I have done for people in the past. They've uh, they've offered to to give me you know, offer room lodging, things like that, uh, to come out to tournaments to just have a good time or, or play them and have fun. It's something I, I do try to do often. I try to travel a few times a year um, <clears throat> just to meet people because I, I love traveling these tournaments and especially meeting the yep, TOs. That's so how we met, Pablo. If you ever... Yeah. That is how we met. Um, uh, Derek, how far... Uh, patron Derek wants to know, how far are we from a legit field of pro players? And if it happens like people seem to want... What would happen to players not sponsored? Seems like it might edge them out. 
Uh, that is a really good question, and Scar, I think you should start. I don't think it'll edge people out, but I think what it'll do is it'll A, add legitimacy to the events, but then what we'll probably end up seeing is the development of like tournament circuits that cater to either like a competitive ring of people, people who are sponsored or ladders or teams, and it'll essentially be very much like you know, competitive uh, esports gaming where you have events that are ranked and events that are not ranked and events where, you know, you're you're going to be seeing like the Masters Leagues or whatever and other events where, you know, they're not ranked and, you know, they're they're just run just for the fun of the game rather than like actual sponsored events. So I don't I it'll change, but I don't think regular folk that aren't sponsored won't be able to play the game competitively anymore. Yeah, and, and to add on to Scar, because I agree with what Scar said, um, to add on to that, uh, if you look at other pro scenes, whether it's Magic, uh, the NFL, Olympics, et cetera, et cetera, there are always people on the fringe who are trying to get in, and the most successful ones have paths to get into the pro scene. So if hypothetically we had a cast of 32 pro 40k players, uh, and they were on the circuit, and they somehow managed to get sponsors, and they got flown around to attend events and to play 40k they were the pros um we could have people we'd have to have a set like uh pathway to become one of those pros right it would have to be clear maybe you have to win a certain amount maybe you have to attend a certain amount however however it works it'd have to be clear to everyone involved and transparent uh and then that would not edge players out because people would want to do that right like the nfl there's there's tons and tons of professional players who play in the nfl However, there's still a Canadian football league, a flag football leagues, you know, Division Two college, uh, <clears throat> the new the new uh, spring le- leagues, the arena leagues. Yeah, um, uh, there's there's tons of of fringe people who play football, maybe not at the professional level, but they still play either with aspirations of playing at the professional level or or they just play for fun, right? So there there will always be people like that. As, as long as it's something that, that people are willing to yeah. create and I can actually for. see, because yeah. um, I don't think like tournaments like the Iron Halo or Berry Bash are going to ever kind of not count towards being uh, in a professional standard. I mean, we, what we could see in the future is maybe uh, if you earn X number of points, you're considered uh, to be in the qualifications to be one of those top 32 players to be invited to a tournament. Yeah, another thing that we might even see is the you know ITC rankings or something develop into more of an ELO ranking system where you know you might have like big big players go to events to get like global ranking points. However, you know them beating up on the newer players isn't isn't going to be worth anything versus right. you know them going to like a ranked event where they're you're playing players of a similar caliber ELO ranking that sort of allows them to rank up, right? So I find that maybe would be kind of interesting because, uh, you know, I, uh, what we're doing like in the Midwest is like the, the Lord Marshall circuit, which is like a or a conference. It's like a mini, mini ITC in the Midwest and just the Midwest region. There's not really any spread out. But what's this done is like there's some people that I was not aware of that are actually pretty good. And so um, I, I just wanted to point out that. Well, it, it, you'll have that ELO ranking where people are traveling to the large events. Um, I think it's important to remember also that the there's also a smaller demographic of people that can't go to the events because they're, you know, 
really far away or, you know, just cost prohibitive. Say, for example, Australia. Yeah, or have family obligations exactly. or whatever. Yeah. And they're still really good players. That's one of the biggest things, for example, of going. It, this is a little tangent, sure. I promise, Pablo. I won't be. I won't. I won't take long mm-hmm. on the tangent. Don't worry about it. But going to an event like the ETC, right? Especially in North America and in a lot of parts of Europe now, we're starting to see like adherence to the ITC rankings, and we're starting to see like names pop up, and you're like, oh yeah, you know, Manny Chima this, and you know, Nick Nadavati that, and all that stuff. But then you go to like the ETC, and you know, you get completely smashed by a random player that you've never heard of before from you know Greece or something and it's because they just haven't been in that sort of competitive scene but it doesn't mean that they're not incredible players out there in the world that you know will just start popping out of nowhere I think having that sort of competitive um, like global sponsorship like professional gaming system will really sort of help people shine you know you'd have scouts develop that go out and look for players and try and sign them and it'll it'll be a whole business in and of itself i'm honestly waiting for free agency because i think that would be hilarious <laughs> like the shenanigans i, I think what happened with free agency i just i mean it would be it'd be equivalent to uh nick Nadavati going to team england kind of levels of drama which mm. be, which is kind of hilarious I am actually scared for an, for for a 40k free agency thing because Phil Rotokanakis <laughs> I feel like that's when he would when he would reach his final form, um you know he's already wheeling and dealing for Beast Coast getting them you know the largest team ever they're like the Mormons <laughs> wow. of 40k in that they're they're constantly even if you're even if you passed away these they're still baptizing you and your their religion you know constantly so they're playing the long game and. Would you, would you be growing. confident to say that they are the first like real super team in the ITC? Uh, maybe they, they are. They are a little bit like the the <laughs> Yankees in that they're they're getting the best players and paying top dollar. In this case, Phil Phil buying dinner them or dinner a shirt. or uh, you know fat burger, <laughs> you know whatever whatever Phil can does to convince them to come on Beast Coast. Uh, the, but joking aside, I think I think that'd be really cool I, with some limitations. Well, now we have to advocate um, for for try. team like <laughs> you know policing and regulations. Yeah. Scar- what scar- is this madness? I would vote for you to be but the head of the uh, team ITC Watchdog Group right now on Facebook. If you would please create that page, I will just be a moderator. I will. <laughs> I will for uh, if you um, sign up on Patreon. No, <laughs> it's a paywall. Oh. There's a paywall. <laughs> hey, I am not a cash right. cow, guys. Let's just okay. On to the next one. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Pablo is oh. like wanting to murder us right now. But this is what we do, right? Uh, we so uh, we, we've got a double. <laughs> we've got a double whammy from one person. Uh, Patron Monty wants to know: What do people think about travel tournaments and leagues where the TO arranges pairings but allows players to, add, to game at different locations? Is there a place for that in the larger competitive scene? Special challenges or advantages? Um, I've got I've got my own opinion. I think Scari definitely can add something to this. Um, so we do have a large uh, league here in San Diego, and there there are some issues currently with people traveling for other stores uh, with store owners. You know. It, because store owners that that um, are helping run this league, there there's a certain 
amount of support that they need, right? It, it's it goes beyond just a simple relationship between a league organizer and the players. Uh, and so, it, you know, it's it's hard. Is basically answer your question. In my opinion, Monty, I think it's very tricky. I don't think that it's necessarily the right way to go. Uh, but if implemented correctly, a series of like X amount of leagues run by league organizers only that encourages players to play each other within a region. I think that's very possible, um, especially when you've got, you know, a 90, 100 person leagues. Um, but it's tough, right? Because a, cause a tournament is a different beast. With leagues, you're allowed to change your list in between games most of the time. You're allowed to, you know, there's like home field advantage at that point, right? Uh, which I know there definitely is. How do you regulate like time games? It, it's It just it gets very uncompetitive very fast and very wonky. Oh, I, I think... Um... I think there's ways to do it, but you definitely have to a have a very open communication avenue between like members of the league and organizers, and and have a, a forum for questions. And you know, you'd have to be like the people organizing the league would have to be very active and on point. <clears throat> if there was a question that was happening, or if there's a game happening at a certain location, and a and a rules question pops up or something, you should you should be able to sort of jump on it right away, and. Uh, as leagues grow, yeah, definitely. You know, I think that it would be beneficial. However, it wouldn't replace like big events. You could totally have like a giant league or the regional level and then say the top, you know, 50 players get selected to go to a big event, for example. Yeah, I could see leagues sort of fit in to that style of sort of filtering the level of players to go to like a major invitational event of some sort for your region and then battle it out for the top spot, you know, that sort of thing. But I don't think it'll replace competitive tournaments. Yeah. Um, and then finally his double header question. Uh, what, uh, what's the best practice for publicizing TO rulings on player rules questions before the game? And does this change depending on the size of the event? Um, by far, uh, I've got. A, I've actually got a really strong opinion on this. By far, the best way to publicize rules or player questions is not via email, not via Facebook Messenger, not even via a Facebook post. It's where you keep your official rules. You know, wherever that is in the document. Yep. Maybe it's on a website. Wherever, uh, if people click on it, rules, FAQs, tournament outline, whatever you want to call it. If that's where you keep all your rules, that's where you should keep your tournament rulings. Um, even if you have to link back to a separate Google Drive document, don't worry about making it accessible. Don't worry about uh, don't worry about um, being it being too complicated. Put it somewhere yep. official. That's that's by far the best way to cover your tracks. Like I, it's just, I see TOs do it wrong. One of all the, the things time. that I like doing as a TO is making sure the questions are answered in the player pack. The player pack is in a location that's easy for people to access. And my answer to most questions is, have you read the player pack? Mm -hmm. and, and if you put rulings there in the player pack, an FAQ or something, um, you know, so, put it in so the player pack I, too. Uh, Scary, I just, I want to agree with you on that one. I think that is the number one question I am asked. It's like, I was asked today, when are lists due? And I said, I literally said, I think it's on the 20th, but you should probably check the website. 
Yeah. <laughs> you like... know, and most of the things, anything from schedule to size of the army to his index options, you know, uh, you know, A, a lot of that stuff is in the ITC rulings anyway. Right. But B, if you're going to be switching anything, it should be noted in your player pack. And as a TO, you should have clear expectations of if you're switching anything or how you're playing certain rules. Because the first rule of the ITC as a TO is you can do whatever the hell you want. So... You know, I take that to heart. I make sure my TO, my player pack has frequently asked questions or whatever. And if there's a question that hasn't been answered, it usually gets answered and then gets added to the player pack for future reference. Yep. And so, boom. for example, we it's, do the yes. Iron Halo. We actually have a, a dedicated web page for rules or format questions where a player can submit a question. And then they can also click on a link where, where we resolve that question that they submitted. So we found that really handy. Uh, because people can ask you know anything they want, and the judges will reply with a response. Right on. All right, so that that is it for today's episode. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about the Iron Halo, uh, they are an official sponsor of the Chapter Tactics mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, check them out. Sign them up at Jason. Where, where uh, well, we've already sold out, so you can't sign up anymore, which is pretty awesome. It's a good problem to have, you know. Yeah, we're actually uh, we're going through our wait list right now, and so we have uh, 12 people on the wait list, which is pretty awesome. Um, but if you want to check out IronHalo.org for all the Iron Halo goodness, and then we'll also be streaming uh, the all five games at the Halo, and hopefully have uh, Pablo or uh, Scar you guys on. That would be awesome, and uh, helping us shoutcast. So can check that out at twitch.tv slash iron halo tv right on uh and then check out rum runner wargaming conversions for your custom display board needs uh just a friendly derek page over he's a patron and also uh kind of half sponsor of the podcast um so if you're looking for custom display boards check that out uh <clears throat> also remember to join the patreon uh for giveaways for the facebook group and then finally if you love listening to this dark denizen of the webway mr scary scary where can they find you elsewhere uh, just find me on youtube scardcast at youtube.com all the links to everything else are on pretty much every video and i'll let you explore on your own as you dive deep into the dark city and that's scardcast s-k-a-r-e-d-c-a-s-t yes scardcast Ah. <laughs> It, and that's it. Um, don't forget to go to FrontlineGaming.org for all your tabletop goodies. Check out In the Finest Hour, Sean's Abuse Puppies uh, podcast, BorderKeyStats.com, and of course, all of the podcasts on the Frontline Gaming Network. Thank you guys and gals for listening. You are all truly the best listeners in the world. And as always, have good a good night. One. Goodbye.